Welcome back to another episode of the Good Grow Great podcast, you guys. I'm Talia Toha, and this is Six Degrees of Greatness. This is the segment where we sit down and talk to two to three different entrepreneurs, business owners, career professionals, top performers, people who might just be starting their business, people who are far ahead in what they're doing. That way you get this nice, rich experience of just a range of perspectives from people who maybe come from the creative arts, people who are in business, people who have million and multi-million dollar companies. And so today, that's what we're going to do, except today is quite special to me because I love, I just love this topic, the creative arts. More specifically, we're going to be talking about what Lucy Walker, a metalsmith and gemologist for 10 plus years now, what she had learned first when she was starting out in New York and then in Australia and now in Malaysia as she began making jewelry from beads and selling it to friends of a family from 10 years old, you know, when she was still a kid as a child and didn't know any better. And it was just the most wonderful story. And we get to hear about it and about her experience selling beads in a local pub and what that what that was like and how that took her to where she is right now. And she had mentioned that she teaches metal smithing and jewelry making to students from all around the world online through her website, lucywalkerjewelry.com. That's with two L's. She is going to take us through how to achieve what seems impossible, which is having that combination of making something that is pleasing, aesthetically pleasing, and durable, something that people want, but also something that people need, right? And um, and what to do if you don't have the budget to do everything, right? I think when we're all expected to do everything from start to finish, and you have to be all online, you have to do this offline thing too, there's so much to do. And at the same time, we're going to be sitting down with Julia Sian Saren. And Julia is a digital marketing consultant at JuicyPickles.com, her company. And she's a speaker and a trainer. And what is great about Julia is that she's been doing digital marketing for about 10 years now. And she has helped over 50 plus businesses worldwide. And when she first started her journey, she actually, get this, she actually started in diplomacy. And she also has an interest in car engineering. And she still, according to her, she still has aspirations to work for Maserati. So she is a proud entrepreneur who admits to having done it all without any outsourcing interns or employees. She is sharing with us what it was like to essentially start something new. If everyone around you, your friends and your family might be a little bit judgmental about what you're doing, right? Maybe not as supportive or just blurt out negative comments that make you go, well, you know, but I really want to do this and make you feel like you're not supported. And so she talked about what you should do if that happens to you based on her own experience. And also she talks about essentially how to market yourself if it is your first few years in the business and you don't have a lot of authority just yet. Or perhaps you're kind of uh, several years into it already, but you're plateauing. So Without further ado, Growth Solvers, hit that follow, subscribe, collect, add, and uh, and download button because we are going to dive in. So many goodness. Let's get started.
Okay, Lucy, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Talia, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited today. Amazing. Well, I'm excited to share and hear your story because you are by trade, and we don't get this very often on the podcast, you're by trade a metalsmith and you're in the gemology world. Now, before we touch on all of that, which is already fascinating to begin with, I do want to ask you, where does this love come from? Because not every day do you encounter somebody who's like, you know what, I'll do jewelry for the rest of my life. And this is something that I'm called to do. Did that start in your early years as a kid or did you did that develop later on in your life? Basically, my mom used to call me a magpie. If it sparkles, I wanted it. And as a kid, it just didn't really matter, you know, whatever it was made from, sparkly plastic, sparkly, you know, tinfoil, fake gemstones, anything. I absolutely just, I just loved anything that sparkled. And so I actually, uh, I was a very crafty kid. And I, I started making jewelry when I was probably 10 or 11 years old. I went on a school trip, bought a ton of beads and, and just started making jewelry. And then ever the little entrepreneur, I was selling them at school. I was going down to the pub with my dad and selling them to his friends. And, oh, wow. and, and it just grew from there. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't get into the metalsmithing side of things until I was probably about 22, 23 years old. But all through my childhood, you know, I, I was there making jewelry and, and all sorts of other creative stuff. And, of course, trying to sell it on the side as well. Yeah. And what I love actually the most is that you mentioned that you started at a very early age and you kind of held on to it. And a lot of people, I think when they love something, they want to kind of keep it as a hobby or maybe they just kind of have developed this love and hate relationship with it over the course of the years into adulthood. But no, it sounds like you're going all in. You're like, you know what? I love things that sparkle, not embarrassed about it. And I'm going to go for it. And you even went into the pub with your dad and you kind of share things with was it his friends was to that that you're sharing your your creation with and how old were you when you were doing this yeah I mean my poor dad his his friends at the pub used to just put up with so much crap from me um but I would you know because there were a load of biker guys down there and so I'd go and I'd make some stuff from leather and just some simple charms not that I'd made but just kind of assembled and uh, yeah I just hook it off down to the pub on a on a Friday or a Saturday just at lunchtime and uh yeah I'd be like hey this is what I got who wants it and uh you know and some of them they were such nice guys they'd always entertain me and go oh, yeah you know and I'd be selling it for a pound so nobody gave a crap it was the pint, price of a pint of beer to be honest and uh so yeah my uh, my dad and his friends and my grandma and and you know all sorts of other family members they just kept you know supporting me by buying jewelry 50 pence a pound at a time and you know it's it was really really you know just kind of a beautiful thing to have so many people supporting you I love this. Well, and what's really impressive is that at even at, a, at this young of an age, your family supported this. And I think we hear this often because I have a lot of people who come on the podcast who have grown their business, but a lot of times they didn't come with that support, right? And a lot of times there's friction. People wanted them to do some other things, right? And they wanted them to be, oh, you got to be this and that and that and that other thing that you love is not any good. So was 
is it kind of has your family always been it really just kind of creative and really oriented towards having people choose their own path well my family definitely not remotely creative i'm definitely escaped the mold there i think you know my mom and my my dad and my sister they're, they're definitely they'll be self-described totally uncreative um, so I don't know how I got that gene. I really don't. But in terms of support, uh, they're absolutely brilliant. They don't mind that I live halfway around the world. You know, they, you know, my, when I first started metalsmithing at probably 22, 23 years old, my mom was the one that was like, oh, my gosh, everyone in this, everyone who's learning has this tool. You need this tool, too. And then she, you know, she'd buy me all these lovely new tools. And, you know, she was super, super supportive. You know, my mom's. I think my mom's the biggest fan. She's like, oh, you know, she sees something new on Instagram. And the first thing she says, oh, lovely, Lucy, beautiful work. And then in a a message a few seconds later on my phone, oh, can I have that, please? (laughs) So she wants in. She wants some of it, too. (laughs) My mom doesn't actually wear jewelry. She's kind of just like me. I don't wear jewelry. I just like to look at it and I like to to touch it. And, And mom likes to just have you know, something beautiful and sparkly to look at and enjoy. But she's like me, so practical. She doesn't really wear it. Yeah. And this is kind of interesting that you brought up this this idea of, you know, the practical versus just, you know, kind of something that's aesthetically pleasing, right? Because I think when anyone is thinking about their craft, right, whether that's a creative endeavor or even something a little bit more related to numbers and figures, you know, business, all these things, you kind of, you, there's always almost two spectrums that you have to kind of uh, really uh, gently and wonderfully tread. Right. Because if you're only on one side of the spectrum and you're like, oh, you know what, we're just going to do the sparkly, but we can't, it's not really wearable, then that's difficult. But then it's also on the other side if it's all too utilitarian almost. And then you have like, oh, but then it it kind of lacks the, the very reason why people wear jewelry to begin with. That'll fail as well. Right. What was kind of your, how did you, as you kind of go through the years, I know you started young, but how did your your metal smithing, jewelry, and you know your your study of gemology evolve? Like, what are some different? I know with most artists, there are different phases in their lives when they're like, "Oh, this is my like Picasso has like a blue period or something," right? Mm-hmm. And the, did you have any of that uh, experiencing over the course of the years? Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, for me now, it's mostly teaching. So I'm always looking at when I when I design anything, it's like, is is this going to be fun to make? Is it, you know, kind of at least on trend? Is it is it going to be uh, is it going to create a lot of drama for our students? You know, so there's a whole process there. Whereas before, when I was making jewelry, you know, for people to wear, of course, it's always, you know, what looks the most beautiful. But of but as long as it's sturdy, you know, I'm definitely one of those jewelers. <laughs> I like to I like to design and make a ring that if you punch somebody in the face with it, it's not going to hurt the ring. <laughs> Sounds brutal, but that is how I design. I do not ever want to make a piece of jewelry where someone smashes it in a car door and it falls to pieces or whatever, you know. So everything that I like to make is always, you know, it, it looks delicate, but underneath it's sturdy as hell. And, and so that's pretty much always been my, uh, always been my way. You know, thankfully, I've 
Um, in terms of learning myself, I've learned under some of the best jewelers, I'd say probably in the world, you know, I've been really, really lucky. I learned in New York and um, on 47th Street. And then I worked in Australia with a couple of amazing, uh, amazing jewelers. And I've got wonderful friends who are jewelers as well. And they are all amazing at their craft. And so I really do. Every time I design something, the first thing in my mind is, you know, will so-and-so judge me for that? Would so-and-so be proud of that? And and, and I do, that, that's basically my design process, you know, just make sure that I'm making my mentors proud. Well, and I, I find it fascinating that first, when you said that when you're making something, you want to make sure that it doesn't hurt and you kind of pause there. And I thought that you were going to say it doesn't hurt the person who you're, you're punching. <laughs> you kind of switch and you're like, well, I don't want it to damage the piece of jewelry, which I thought was so cool that you're like, well, yeah, it has to last. It has to have this endurance. I, I can't tell you how many times I bought like a, something and, um, and I love it so much, but then it, it got destroyed so quickly, whatever, for whatever reason, maybe it got rained on or something, you know, whatever. And so obviously yeah. there are different degrees of quality. And I think, uh, what's interesting in what you're saying is that when you're teaching people like this is now, have, this had become kind of your philosophy, like you want it sturdy, but it looks delicate, which I'd imagine that must've been kind of hard though, right? Like to, to build something that looks delicate but sturdy underneath like what was what's what are some of the processes there yeah I mean it's definitely difficult to achieve but it's about having basically the weight underneath so you know when you look at something from on top it's beautiful and refined and then you know it's still refined underneath but you can thicken the metal here and there in places that aren't noticeable just to give it that extra strength and this is one of the things you know nowadays with gold prices being so high uh you know, jewelry's bloody skinny. It is like super skinny and, and it doesn't last. So it's like you've got these beautiful ring bands that look absolutely gorgeous and you're like, oh yeah, that's absolutely stunning. But you know for, for a fact that after somebody's wore it for, you know, a week, two weeks, you know, you bank your hands on the desk and suddenly this lovely round ring, because it's so skinny, is totally out of shape. And, and that's just... You know, you just need to think about that when designing. And, and I try, I really try with our students to encourage them to, you know, think, yeah, you've got to make sure that it looks nice when it leaves your shop. But the worst customer is a, a pissed off customer. So you want to make sure that it looks really nice six months from now, one year from now, six years from now. Yeah. And I like that emphasis on longevity. And almost sort of that, okay, this is, we have to think and we have to put ourselves in the shoes of people who are actually wearing it, right? And mm -hmm. I, I love that emphasis because I think while everybody sort of understand that in theory, I think a lot of people who are creating something, starting something new, we uh, they tend to forget about it, right? And I think it's always a good reminder that, um, that that's something that, uh, you have to always keep in mind, right? Now, I am interested, though, because you've been, in, um, you know, you've been a metalsmith for a number of years. Now you teach other people about, you know, the study of gems, which is just so fascinating, I think. Um, I am curious because if someone is listening to you and they go, you know what, I've always wanted to create my own, you know, jewelry line or whatever, and they don't have all of the, maybe they don't have all of the resources, for instance, right? What and of course, things have changed, right, over the course of 
one, three, definitely 10 years as far as putting your work out there and having a reception, right? And having people go, oh, interesting, let me buy that or whatever. What are some things that that come to your mind right now as far as, okay, if you want to start a jewelry business right now, what should you do? I would say, first of all, everyone gets, and I am so guilty of this, you get super excited about learning all the techniques and buying all the tools and you want to learn a little bit of everything and you're going too fast. So I would say to everyone, take a couple of simple techniques Buy a couple of tools that you can use, you know, to create those items and really spend a serious amount of time focusing on it. And this is actually where, you know, a lot of my students come and say, oh, my God, I don't have the budget to get started with this. And I say, good, good, because that means you're going to work on really developing your skills in this one specific area. You're going to take the time to master them, but then you're also going to think about designs. And hopefully after that, you're going to think about selling them and marketing them, you know, so it's really easy to go out and buy all the tools and, you know, and and start trying to learn everything. But if you're learning everything and you have all the tools, you don't do a good job on all the simple individual techniques. So for me, I would just say take it slow and really work on skills one at a time and concentrate on design. I think this is so true in um, basically all of the domains. There are some exceptions, of course, but um, I think when you're talking about mastering one or two things that tools, I mean, we, you can call it tools, but in different uh, industries and spaces, it might be something else, right? Like skills and just having that laser focus on those one, two, three. I think I can't remember who who mentioned this, but this is a quote somewhere from somebody. And they talk about how, you know, mastery is basically doing one thing like a thousand times rather than thousand things once right at a time and so i think this is so true just going back to your point is that you need to be able to okay this is my um weapon of choice almost right not that it's a weapon but just be like this is the choice of what I want to do and how I want, what I want to use. And I'm going to try it again and again, flip it around, you know, go upside down, whatever, and become the absolute master um, at it. So I love that, that that's, that's your approach. Now I am curious because I'm sure you having been in the study of gems and metal smithing for a number of years, I'm sure there are all these like great metal smiths and, um, and obviously gemologists who are your, maybe some, somebody you look up to. Right now, from your perspective, what are some of their strengths and why are they so good at what they do? I'm sure there's plenty, but maybe name a few things because I'm everyone who's listening in whatever space they're in and cheer design. They have like, oh, this guy is really I want I want to be that right in your perspective. I don't know if there's a, a person, but what are some things that they're doing that made them really rise to that level? I would say probably one of my favorite designers would be uh, a wonderful guy called Todd Reed, who's in Colorado. And he has um, a beautiful jewelry line. It's fine jewelry. So it's using silver, gold and platinum. And he is using rough stones, rough diamonds. He was one of the first to use the rough diamonds in the jewelry. And He's doing well, as far as I know, he's doing fantastically well. You know, I've watched him throughout my entire career. I think he's spectacular. Um, but I, I believe he's doing well. 
for that same reason, because he's focusing. You know, he has his niche. He's sticking with that niche. He's creating absolutely spectacular, you know, assortments of things within that niche. He's not trying to do, he's not trying to be, you know, Cartier and Boucheron and Todd Reed. He's trying to be just Todd Reed. And, um, you know, he is one of my all-time favorites. And a lot of the old traditional jewelers, they're not a fan because his work is really rustic. Um, But it's beautifully made, but it looks rustic. And, you know, people really go for that these days. So he's definitely... He's definitely nailing it. And one of my absolute favorites. I'm married already. I think if I ever actually got around to getting myself an engagement ring, which has just been last on the list this last few years, it's going to be a Todd Reed. Oh, oh, there you go. Did you did you share this with your significant other that that, that that's your go to? <laughs> no, we've not even thought about it, to be honest. It's been business, business, business for three years. And then, you know, we had a little quickie wedding right in the middle of it all. And it's like, OK, yes, let's get married. Let's get drunk and then let's get back to work. I've known some of my some of my friends do this like they just kind of you know they get married because they've they've known each other for a long time like it's not really something that oh this is a something very different they did exactly what you did they just have this, this celebration small or large but then they get back to it they I think they then some of them even postpone their honeymoon for three five years and then when they finally settle down they're like oh yeah let's have this big trip which i thought was very interesting and i kind of like that idea you know which is kind of cool yeah. but besides that i am kind of interested because you mentioned todd reed being sort of that gold standard right and his design is both rustic but also um you know then why do you think that that kind of causes some people to to not like that is, is it just a generational thing and of course i'm asking this because i'm not in that space Absolutely. It's definitely a generational thing. Uh, You know, the youngsters, uh, and I still consider myself maybe a youngster. Um, I'm 37. It's like, oh, my God. But basically, yeah, I'm taking it. (laughs) But the the older guys in in the jewelry industry, you know, they're very, very proud of their techniques and doing things the proper, the correct way. And it is. It's fantastic. And it looks beautiful. But nowadays, we're going towards... You know, I, I think it's like another arts and crafts movement. We're, we're kind of stepping away from the mass-produced look, and we want something that actually looks like somebody put their heart and soul into it, and it was made by hand. You know, and that's basically that the the entire feel of of Todd Reed's jewelry. It really feels and looks handmade. It's it's absolutely stunning. But the old boys, the old you know jewelers in the in the industry probably don't like it quite so much just because it's not traditional. It's, but Todd Reed's not afraid to just try new things. And it comes through. It really comes through. Yeah, and I love that actually what you're doing here is basically highlighting something that I think is a point, pain point for a lot of people is that you always have to, sometimes to really make a breakthrough, you do have to have almost like a departure from something that is familiar. Now, you don't have to make that departure, but should you choose and you should you feel compelled to do it 
that's actually a, a gateway almost into going into the space where it's the land of unknown, but maybe the reward and the fulfillment that you get from discovery is, is even more amazing. And now looking forward, right, to your own work and you now teaching uh, other people the, the crafts, almost the craft of jewelry making and all of these amazing things, do you find yourself that, uh, that you, you that you have all these different elements of, of different influences, and if so, how do you reconcile uh, all these different voices and, of course, informed education in the study of gems into like a piece of jewelry? Like, how does that go? What does that look like in your thought process? It's really um, sometimes it can be really difficult because there's a lot of bloody voices in my head, um, but I think. It is wonderful because, like I said earlier, whenever I'm designing or making anything, I'm thinking, okay, so would this make my friend, uh, you know, proud? Would this make my tutor Blaine proud? Would this make Michael proud? Would, you know, will this work for those guys? And I think that kind of little fear that I have in my heart that anything I make, they're not going to like it or they wouldn't be proud of it. It does really affect things. So it does encourage me not just to design a pretty piece of jewelry, you know, because I can always hear, you know, these people in the background say, no, you've got to make sure it lasts. You've got to make sure, you know, that everything's secure and, and you know, that, that this piece of jewelry is going to look beautiful six months, six years from now. Uh, and so that always plays a massive part. You, you channeled that energy into something positive. I think a lot of people are paralyzed, actually, when they're kind of like, oh, my gosh, like, what are they going to think about this? Is this going to be good enough? Right. And then they freeze and then they don't have mm-hmm. the ability to finish the production, whether that's in your case, of course, is an actual product. But in other people's cases, services offering. Right. But I love that you're actually going at it and be like, well, you know what? This is a good thing. Like, I'm just going to use this as a way, as a measurement almost to kind of lift my standards. We, we, we're very brutal. Myself and, and Venice, my business partner, we're really, um, we're into video production right now and making our online classes. And we are absolutely brutal on ourselves. And, and we go through this whole stress phase and, and we get really anxious about it. And, and then at the end of the day, we actually have to tell ourselves, you know what, calm the hell down. This is why our videos are doing well. You know, this is why people are enjoying them because we're so anxious. We're so stressed. We're, you know, we're killing ourselves trying to make them perfect and we're worrying that they're not going to be good enough. But if we were overconfident, you know, then we'd, we just wouldn't put in the effort. Just having this balance of, you know, confidence, but also realizing that there's an element of humility, uh, almost like a self-check, right? You do have to be confident in your work, but you don't want to be overconfident that such that the quality of your work suffers, right? So I love this. And and Julia, though, uh, Julia, in your world, with your world of digital marketing, I know that you kind of fell into this world having traveled across it seems like the globe. And I know, Lucy, you're in Malaysia and Julia, you're in, where are, whereabouts are you streaming in from right now? Anyway? I'm in Singapore. So I'm actually next door. It's very, very near. It's a one hour flight. But unfortunately, this year, it's, um, it's a no go, obviously, because nobody can, nobody can cross that invisible line. But you mentioned that you actually, before you joined this world, you were, you were studying diplomacy. Is that correct? <laughs> Yes, I did. I did. I have a degree in political 
medical science. Wow. Okay. This is already fascinating because I love how, you know, with Lucy, she just kind of like, I love things that sparkle. I love creating jewelry. I'm going to stick with it for, you know, the rest of my life. Right. And you go, you know what? Diplomacy. And then you actually even touched on uh, car engineering. That was the reason why that's, that was your schooling, right? Yeah. So when I was, when I was young, I really, really loved cars. I still love cars. Um, and so my, my, my dream was really to be, my dream was literally to go back to Modena and work for Maserati. That was like my highest aspiration. And then I went to high school thinking, you know, okay, since I want to study engineering at uni, I better get studied now with like maths and physics and um, design. But then when I was at math, I actually kind of struggled with math and physics and um I guess having a learning disability helped there um but so then I was so scared really and I was so anxious about math that then I figured you know maybe being an engineer is not really for me (laughs) and there's a bit of ADHD in there as well so I see as more and more studies are coming out and people are being diagnosed with it now we kind of understand it and have a better understanding of okay what is actually involved and there are different kinds of it even right and but I love how you were like honest with yourself and you're like well you know what maybe this is not my path to as you call at Maserati, right? And, um, you know, like we were talking earlier before you came on, uh, Julia, Lucy and I, we were ta- talking about the kind of the different paths towards, uh, you know, a destination. I know uh, her path originally when she was younger, it was just kind of having this very amazing support system around her family even to the point of going to the pubs and just combining those two seemingly clashing worlds now do you feel like um is this and because we always when we have people come on they always seem to have this other uh hobby and uh interest do you feel like that is something that you can then combine back into your your work in digital marketing anything you know now now it's like i'm working with the goal of well being able to go back to italy and test drive some old cars and then buy myself like a second or third hand maserati to have like as a fun drive around to to keep in italy obviously because in singapore car prices are outrageous and there's like 300 percent tax so it just it's just no fun um but yeah that's that's let's say like the extent of me weaving back car engineering but no definitely I am glad that my path changed the way it did um I'm definitely glad because I think that what I'm doing right now it's kind of like the perfect job for me I don't think I would do well in a corporate environment working with other 300 people so (laughs) Well, and it's true. I think you, to your point, sometimes it's not even the thing that you're doing. It's like the setting of the thing that you're doing that is either a, a yes or a no, right? And you're yeah. pointing out that corporate world as exciting as, you know, the, your passion for car engineering. It does revolve around that very kind of complex layers of uh, the corporate uh, world, right? And um, and I wonder if... if uh, jewelry making is similar, Lucy. Do you find that it just it's that there is this jungle that people have to navigate, or did you find your way fairly quickly and smoothly and be like, this is my path and this is how I'm going to start my business, or did you kind of meander around some of those other environments as well? Uh, yeah, I meandered a lot. I took some crazy ass journeys along the way. Um, it was, I mean, for me, it 
I did love jewelry making as a child and then I got back into it seriously as an adult, but there's a long, long kind of windy road in between of trying out all sorts of different things. And, you know, for me, like event planning was one of the things I loved. I tried out being a legal secretary, which I absolutely hated. Okay. Um, oh my God, that was awful. And, uh, you know, but I little bits from all of these you know um the events planning was absolutely fantastic and I still use a lot of the skills that I learned there. um but in terms of jewelry basically I kind of started um I started back in I started learning how to metal smith in around 2000 uh oh sorry yeah 2000 something like that oh sorry no <laughs> 2010 I started oh my camera's gone off no, it's gone back. Sorry. The 2000s. Yeah, somewhere in the 2000s. Yeah. No, it was about 2010. I started back on my metalsmithing journey, and then I got into gemology and studied that. And then I had to go find a job, and I had to work for other people. And that was the point that I realized I'm an absolutely terrible employee. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm just. I had. Uh, I learned so much but my attention span is so short. I can't sit and do one thing for a long period of time. And so, yeah, eventually just starting the business allowed my brain to be the, the crazy self that it needed to be. And so, you know, thankfully I found my little, my little corner of the world that makes me happy. Yeah. And this is so, it's so great that you were honest about it, that you were like, oh yeah, I tried event planning. I tried, uh, you know, legal, <laughs> which is, was a yeah. no. And I think a lot of times, and I was talking to another group, uh, this other, for another episode where they also discovered what they love in the same way. It's almost like kind of a process of elimination. And you're like, okay, these are definitely no, now that I've tried it for whatever, six months, one year, some people, I think the person that we were talking to they were like two days into waitressing and restaurants and they're like nope we're going back to this other thing so it's kind of interesting that you know sometimes the road to affirm and confirming where you want to go is has to go through that very kind of painful process i guess of okay this is not it right not it at all teaching when you're teaching students in um in the kind of the art of um of craftsmanship and metal smithing and all of these wonderful things where do you begin because i think when when people are listening to this podcast and some of them are so skilled in what they do but then it's another thing to teach what you do right versus actually doing what you're doing yeah right? so how do you kind of uh how do you balance and where do you start to have people uh have a good enough understanding but also get excited about you know where they're heading like where where do you start i think for me the most important thing is just building confidence you know if if, if people start out and and they they see that they're doing a sucky job you know they're going to get disheartened and they're just not going to continue. You know, it's exactly the same as when you go to the gym, you know, you need someone telling you that you're doing a damn good job. And, uh, but for me, the, the most, I think the most important thing with my students is to make them not afraid to make mistakes. And everyone is so obsessed about, Oh, I want to be able to do this perfectly, perfectly, perfectly. And I say, no, I want you to do it imperfectly. I really want you to screw up. Because if you do it perfectly, you're not learning much at all. 
Okay, whereas if you screw up, you're learning 10 times more. You're learning how to fix things, how to think for yourself. You know, you're not just following my instructions, but you're thinking about how you can solve the problem. And, and that's one of the biggest things that I want to share my students. Forget learning, you know, just how to do something. You've got to understand why so that you can fix your own problems when there's no one there to hold your hand. And so... Yeah, for me, I I just want to make sure that that safety net is there where you say it is okay to screw up. You know, as long as you're not burning down your freaking house or doing any, you know, doing anything unsafe, as long as, you know, you're trying, it's all part of the learning process. Don't be afraid to, to screw it up. Well, and this is so true as well, where you kind of, I love that you brought up the point that, okay, learn it now so that later you can do it yourself. You can kind of pick yourself back up. And I kind of always, I agree with this because people always kind of go, well, you know, I don't want to mess up. You know, what what would people think? Well, at this stage, when they're talking about it, of course, like, you know, students who come to Good Grow Grid and they're looking at business, how to grow the business. I'm kind of like, well, at this stage, when it's so early, there's almost very little risk. Like your fall is not going to be so so far, there's very few people that's going to be like, oh, you know, this is terrible, right? And and your uh, it's almost like your ego is not going to be damaged quite as much, and so the fall is not as as um, as high, right? As or as far, um, using that analogy of kids playing. Yeah, I think that's right. Right. I and, think and, but then you do notice like when people never had made mistakes in the early stages and they get to big time. Right. And they get to play with the big players and their foundation is crumbly. Then that I mean, the fall is almost very difficult to recover from, you know, exactly. exactly. Make the mistakes early on and then you'll learn how to pick yourself up later. Kind of. I think a lot of people have that fear of oh, no, if I don't get it perfect now, it's going to be terrible, right? And so, Julia, what do you think about, because you're in the space of getting people visibility, giving people more visibility, like what would you recommend for if somebody's like, well, you know what, I don't know if I want to, um, you know, I want to try that because that's, that's like, I'm going to be embarrassed, mom and dad's going to find out, my husband's going to find out, or my wife's going to find out that I'm doing this, and it, it sucks, right? Like, what would your recommendation be as far as a mindset shift? Well, it's realizing that more often than not, strangers are a lot nicer to you than your own family and friends. Um, and so that's why I think it always, whenever you're starting something new, you shouldn't you shouldn't tell your friends. Like you should tell your friends after it's done, or you know you should tell your family after it's done. Um, that's been what I have done, and it's worked pretty well for me because I know that I come from a pretty like judgmental family. So you know when I told them. I didn't want to do a master's degree. It was like the revolution. You know, you mean you don't want to study anymore. You don't want our money. You don't like us. <laughs> so, so yeah. So then that, that's when, you know, I, I, I kind of like learned the hard way that it's always better to, to do things first and then get a bit of results and then tell your family and friends so that, you know, the deed is done. They can't say anything that will make you change your mind because then, People always have a tendency to to bring up the negative things and the objections. It's like, oh, you want to have your own business. Why don't you go get a job? Right. So then just do it. Um, do it and then tell your family and friends later. 
Yeah, I think <laughs> this is so cool that you're bringing it up because I think a lot of people feel feel bad about almost like, well, I don't want people to find out that I'm starting this other thing. But when in fact there are, I mean, there are pros and cons to everything, but the benefit of doing it the way that you're saying, Julia, is that, yeah, you do have this confidence of, oh, this is just a small thing, but if I can get this small thing, um, it can be this uh, bigger size and it can grow bigger, right? Because in the podcast with the Good Grow Great community, we're passionate about, okay, how do we get from the point where you're so small, but then you take all of these micro steps toward a big, massive change, right? Um, and I think to your point, it's the necessity of protecting that confidence is so important, which of course, I mean, in Lucy's case, you're so lucky. It sounds like your family is just like, absolutely, Lucy, this is, you go girl, right? Um, but in the case where people don't have that kind of support, you do have to be kind of be take ownership almost of, okay, this is the process and I'm going to do it this way and this and protect it, which I think is, is very interesting. But I think speaking of judgment, right, whether it's kind of indirect or, or direct, Julia, you mentioned you, and, and I found this kind of interesting once you said that you had traveled to Kuala Lumpur, if I remember correctly, and then people, because of your, your photo was like eight years old, and they're like, did you have your work, uh, your face work done or something? Is that yeah, a thing? It happened at customs. I was, I was honestly, I was so embarrassed because I was, I was very, I mean, it was, yeah, it was like six years ago. So I was 24. Um, and I look pretty much as I do today, really. Uh, maybe my hair was a bit longer. And and then the, I was never stopped at customs, right? Because I'm not, I mean, my passport is real. Hello. I didn't steal any passports. But then but then the guy at the border, I was taking a, a, a short flight to Singapore. And then the guy at the border stops me and looks at me. And he's like, is this your passport, miss? <laughs> <laughs> asking me these questions like is this your passport and I'm like well yes and it's like what what job do you do and I'm like well you know I work for a company I I'm gainfully employed um and it's like is this did you get your nose done did you get like any work done on your face and that's when I realized that you know my passport photo was like old enough and it was about time to change it but honestly it was just so like sad because apparently then I looked it up on the internet as you do and found out that a lot of the people between, um, well, not just just in Southeast Asia, there is a lot of, or a significant number of people who have fake passports, and then they come to Southeast Asia for um, to be, you know, dancers and escorts. Anything else? Yeah. And I guess you know, very interesting how I, I kind of received the same line of questioning as that because you know I, I'm not I'm not married and I'm not a lawyer or something and so then they just assume that yep <laughs> you do kind of a lot of times when we think about even some of our decision making and things that we're dealing with you're faced with sometimes pushed back by other people, right? They are pushing back for whatever reason. And, and it's a lot of times because they come with all of this, like there are layers upon layers of a preexisting condition that, that inform that type of, I mean, I don't know if we should call it judgment, but inform that type of observation. Right. And I talk about this on the podcast a lot where like somebody was went up to me and was like, oh, and this is I went up to this is a boardroom meeting. This was back when I was doing the corporate uh, world a lot. And I walked in and they have never we've never met. We've kind of talked on 
on emails and everything. And the guy was like, he literally like looked up and looked up uh, to me and then back down and just kind of measuring me up. And then before he even said hello, welcome or whatever, nice to meet you. He was like, what is a small little Asian girl doing in the world of business? And I'm kind of like at at that point I was I was just I was just I thought he was kidding right and I and I was ready to laugh it off and I was just like oh it's a joke I get it you know because most of business is tall men in suit and ties you know haha whatever but then I realized he wasn't kidding at all and so I'm like oh like this is a real thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, what century are you living in, mate? Yeah, I know. It's like, what? Yeah, it's and and the guy wasn't even all that immature, if you will, right? Like, he's not from like a generation that where you can kind of go, well, that's you know, they're too late. It's too late. There's nothing else you can do about it. But um, but that was a real thing, which is interesting. But I am curious though, because uh, that's business, right? Like in the world of business, there's so very it's such a preconceived notion. But in the world of jewelry, Lucy, you talked about there's almost like this this uh, uh, I guess not divide, but there's a difference between people who are doing it differently in the past uh, and those who are kind of a, a little bit more new and evolved, like Todd, for instance. Do you find that there's a new a group of people who are come up and coming perhaps who are finding like a, a almost a different school of thought and approach to jewelry making as well yeah i mean absolutely technology is just evolving so quickly and you know what was once all done by you know hand now we've got 3d printers doing pretty much the same thing and you know and a lot of artists are really embracing that technology as well and trying to take it you know, not just to replicate the old styles, but trying to use it to make totally new styles that wouldn't necessarily, you know, be possible before. So things are really changing fast. I mean, we're, we're automating so many techniques and especially in, um, you know, America and Europe where labor costs are really high, you know, everybody's investing in every fantastic, fanciful machine you can possibly imagine. And so, definitely techniques really are changing and you know when I'm when I was studying at university I think it was probably I studied quite late in life I think it was about eight years ago nine years ago you know the focus is on design on 3d manufacturing on computer-aided design it's really not focusing on those hand skills anymore so again now we've got another a different kind of look to our jewelry as well where it's going down the really modern really you know very unique again but again different from that kind of arts and crafts aesthetic and different again from the you know traditional idea of fine jewelry so it's a real mishmash right now I love it. Well, and it's, it's kind of exciting when you're in this transition period and you're realizing, oh, something is changing, like certain things are changing. But I do, mm-hmm. what I found interesting, though, do you think that for those who are maybe new in, in the space that you're in, that there is still value in maybe studying some of the, the more kind of traditional, perhaps, uh, methods, right? Like, do you think that that's still something that, um, you know, you would recommend people to, to have an understanding on? I'd recommend them to get an understanding on marketing. Yeah. I, I love what I do and I love being a jeweler. And I think if you want to design and make jewelry in the long run, you need to have those hand skills so that you can understand the processes. But at the end of the day, if I want to, to make 
jewelry that's going to sell that's going to create me a large enough living to survive I'm going to not make it myself it's not possible there's not enough hours in the day but I do need to understand how to make it so that when I do outsource and I say hey you know there's this really cool factory over in you know China or Indonesia Indonesia has some great jewelry making factories and and I'll be able to say, look, I want the metal thickness to be this thick here. I want you to make sure that you're, you know, only using plum solder. I want you to make sure that you're only using this, 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 this. And I can understand it because I've had people, you know, call me and say, oh, Lucy, I'm so-and-so's friend. I'm putting together a jewelry line and I'm having it made in barley. I just need a little bit of advice. And this person has actually never... They, they've just seen jewelry in a shop and now they're having trouble getting a factory to do exactly what they want. And I'm like, well, of course you are. You don't understand what you're asking for. And yeah, my consultancy is going to be this. <laughs> you know, if, if you want, you know, it, it's just not possible to be able to say, I need this, 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 and this, if you don't truly understand what this, 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 and this is. So that's why I would say, Definitely spend some time learning how to make things, learning how things are made. Even if you're not doing it yourself, spend it around the workshop so you understand. But yeah, get a degree in marketing. I wish I had. Right. And this is so true, I think, particularly in the creative space uh, where it is kind of that difficulty. And I've seen this among many people that I know, like they're so good at their craft, at what, you know, the, really the art and aesthetics of it. But then when it comes to putting your their work out there, things fall apart, which is kind of difficult, right? Because without that end consumer in mind, your work is not going to live on, right? It's just, it just stops there. That's the end of the yeah. life of the work, you know? Yeah. And this is so true. I think even in business, I think a lot of people forget about this. Like they're like, oh, you know, I want to make X number in the next year. I want to reach this goal. I want to write a book and all of these things. But then without this understanding of the bridging that chasm and how the whole pieces work together um, is really kind of, I think is, is really um, difficult, right? So um, I want to bring it back for a second here to gemology, right? And I think this is so, so uh, interesting to me, mostly because, you know, I think there's definitely more to it than just, oh, these things sparkle. Like it's, it's just colors, right? Like how do you kind of, right? Um, and I don't even know because I'm, you know, I've, obviously this is a real question because I'm not in that space. But how do you approach your, um, you know, when you start with the blank paper, right, or whatever it is that you guys are using to design? Do you, what's in front of you? Do you, is it like, um, do you have something in mind from the week that you are, were thinking of creating? Or do you already have certain notes here and there and the, somewhere you wrote, you wrote it down somewhere and then you put it together on paper in front of you? What's the actual process on that day when you give birth to a, a particular work? Usually we have a massive list of things that we want to explore. And a lot of the designing um, will be done with me and my business partner, Venice. Venice is like an absolutely incredible jewelry artist. She renders in just the most lifelike drawings you can ever see. And um, so usually we'll have a solid idea of what we'll want to make or what theme we'll have. And bear in mind, most of the time now we're designing for our students rather than actual finished pieces of jewelry. So we'll start with a concept like, hey, let's have a look at something really random like doors. And sometimes we'll pick the most random idea because we want to show our students that 
inspiration comes from everywhere. You know, especially when you're just starting out, it's really hard to get inspiration. And everyone's like, where'd you get this inspiration from? And it's like, you just open your eyes. That is all you do. You just open your eyes and you absorb it. It is everywhere. And so we'll usually, you know, take some images, go out, maybe take some photos, and then we'll just start sketching and, and just coming up with total random ideas, letting our mind just go everywhere. And then once we've had that fun, which is sometimes at the pub with a glass of Prosecco, we're going to laser focus and we're going to go, okay, so we need a project that's going to teach this, this, this and this. And I want the style to be this. And so then that's when we're going to come up. <coughs> Sorry. And so then that's when we'll come up with a specific design that fits all these kind of criteria. And then we get to work making it. So I love that when you're describing the process, I'm sure, I mean, you did mention like random things, but it really isn't random, right? Like you have this uh, a collection of things that you have in your canon, whether that's in your mind or mm-hmm. different, different clips or I don't know, screenshots, whatever it is, pictures. And so really, I think what I, I wanted to kind of underline here for the audience to, to pay closer attention to is that the process isn't, and people talk about this with writer's block, like, oh, uh, idea for site hustle. How do you come up? Like, it's not, we're, no one is just sitting around and then, oh, the idea just kind of falls from the sky, right? There's yeah. actual, okay, uh, actual actions that, that are happening and intent on, okay, it might be some of these things combined in whatever way, but we're, we're intentionally pulling these together and trying to f- figure something out here, even if we don't know what it looks like. Right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I love that. And again, because that's, I think a lot of people do kind of wonder, they're like, oh, you know, that's, that's the amazing idea. I'm so bummed out that I missed out on kind of creating that or making that. And I'm like, well, do something else. You know, there's so many, it's literally endless. You know, I mean, if you sit there waiting for ideas just to drop in your lap, you're going to be sitting there a hell of a long time. You got to go out and grab those ideas by the freaking balls. Right. And I think this is kind of, I think what, what paralyzes a lot of people is, and I'm, of course, I've been guilty of this as well, is that not having a, a block to kind of, okay, I'm going to do that, whatever that is, the ideation from, you know, this start of the hour, top of the hour to the end of the hour. And that's it. Once I'm done, I'm done. Right. I think a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to work on it all day. And then they get stuck. And I'm like, of course you get stuck. Like no one can do it all day. It's like an hour here, a couple hours there whatever so i i love that you've kind of described that um in in your process which i think is really um amazing now uh as far as uh, for you julia with juicy pickles i actually really love your your branding as well that that's so cool um where where did that come from that name is that something that again like not falling off from the sky i presume but it's just something that you're interested in Yes. So it came in after a very, very long brainstorming with may or may not have included alcohol. Um, I and the, this is a theme now. <laughs> this is a theme. Yeah, get along. See? <laughs> um, so what happened is that I realized that most marketing companies, they have very serious names, right? Like interactive this, 3D that, modern, AI, you know, like all these very, very fancy corporate names, but I'm not a fancy corporate person. So I'm not gonna like 
hide and get a fake name for myself. And so then Juicy Pickles was literally, um, it came in a brainstorming after thinking about, okay, you know, who do I want to serve? Because if, you know, if like the bank came to me and asked me to help them with their digital marketing, I would turn them down because I have no business helping a bank. But at the same time, you know, when somebody like Lucy comes along and is like, hey, you know, we're doing this really odd, but really cool thing. What do you think? And then, you know, that's the sort of people I want to help. People that make juicy pickles, not banks. This is so cool. Well, mostly because, yeah, and I love that. I mean, even just the image of a juicy pickle, right? I think when people come up with, well, what should I name, you know, the thing or my offering, my product, my business, or, um, you know, what should I name it? It's actually, I think, to your point, putting yourself in the shoes of those people that you're looking to serve. And um, I mean, when somebody says juicy pickles, we're not going to be thinking, well, you know, it's, it's Walmart or whatever, you know, whatever, right. We're not going to be thinking that. And we don't want to be thinking that. So so different. It's really, everything is different from the strategies to the budgets, to, to the mindset, to the, to the implementation, everything is so different in a small business compared to a big corporate structure. And so I, I also wanted to reflect that because um, I think a lot of people, when they get into business, they make the mistake of thinking, okay, um, I'm a small, let's say I'm a small jewelry brand and I make jewelry. So I am going to pretend that I'm huge. So then everything that they say, instead of just, writing like they speak or writing in a way that would resonate with their audience. They just write in flowery language can like very formal language thinking that that is what you do when you have a business, but it isn't. (laughs) So, so I find that that's also something that I always have to keep reminding my, my clients that, you know, not because that, yeah, you don't have to speak, in a formal way, just because you have a business, it's a lot more important to be authentic and to be yourself. Even if English is your second language, even if sometimes you want to curse a bit, you know, like Lucy does, I think because it's natural because so it's important. And I think people can see right through it when you're pretending to be someone you're not rather compared to when you're just being yourself. Yeah. And also just kind of addressing something that's there anyway. Right. And for people to see if they know you that you're like, oh, this is your first year in business. That's amazing. And then you can just kind of admit that up front and be like a hundred percent and just kind of go, yeah, you know what? This is, you know, I'm in my fifth year, 10th year, whatever. Still looking forward to that. But this is where I can help you. This is where I can't help you. Right. I think that's just being very upfront about it. I think people appreciate it. Then they understand, okay, maybe that's not for me or maybe that is for me right or whatever um which is which is so so important now um lucy what for for you with lucywalkerjewelry.com what are some things that people can look forward to in the upcoming year i know that with uh everything around that's happening in the world it's very uncertain but when people go to your website and check you out what are some things that they can look forward to We've been um, we've been super busy. This, I mean, developing online classes has really absolutely whooped our ass. You know, it's been a massive learning curve, um, but we're looking at taking it totally to the next level. And uh, you know, very early on next year, we should be launching a brand new website with all sorts of bells and whistles on there. And we're kind of hoping to make it a you know 
a one-stop shop for everyone who wants to uh, to learn about jewelry making, you know. I think there's still an opportunity to, you know, really serve that community because there is definitely this thirst and hunger for, okay, well, what do we do with this, you know, skill that we have, right? With Lucy, you're in jewelry making, of course, with Julia, you're in marketing. And so I think there's there are different people are needing that right now, which is uh, absolutely amazing. Now, believe it or not, we are coming to the conclusion of our interview. This had been an absolute joy. I absolutely love having you both on. I will share in information on Lucy, both Lucy and Julia in the show notes. So do check them out. And uh, Lucy, Julia, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for having us. Growth Solvers, hit that follow, subscribe, collect, add, and, uh, and download button because we are going to dive in. Let's get started. <laughs>